Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. What's up, guys? Sean here. I got a couple of announcements for you. So we'll start with a little celebration. We crossed the 1 million download mark, which is amazing in just, I don't know, six months that we've been out. So that's kind of incredible. Didn't think it would get this far. Obviously, you got a long way to go. In the words of Dr. Disrespect, we're all the way at the tippy top of the mountain but we're only halfway up. Okay, so a couple other announcements. We've been doing these brainstorms, me and Sam from The Hustle, and uh, they've been a lot of fun to do, plus I think seem to be the favorites uh, from listeners, more so than the interviews even. So we actually are gonna do what, you know, most projects and startups should do, which is follow the demand. So those episodes are the ones that get the best feedback, they get the most listens, and they're the most fun to do. So we're gonna double down and do more episodes of that style. So we'll still bring in awesome guests who can tell us about their company and how they did it. But in fact, we're going to invite them in instead of saying, hey, tell me your life story. We're going to spend the time with them saying, hey, okay, you know, how did you do what you do? And what else do you see out there? Brainstorm with us and it'll be more casual. And I think it'll be interesting to see what really smart, successful people who are, you know, they're operating their company sometimes for 10 years, but they see all kinds of other opportunities that they can't go chase. And they have this list of ideas that, you know, they'll never get to. And so I want to see that list of ideas. I want them to come share that on the podcast so going forward we'll be doing more episodes like the brainstorms hope you guys like that okay so those are two two announcements and then this episode is with amanda bradford from the league the league is a dating app she she built this app because to solve a very simple problem that she was having she would match with somebody on a dating site like okcupid or match or tinder or whatever and before actually going to meet the person in real life she wanted to know, is this a real person? You know, does this person, is this person who they say they are? Do they have a job? You know, what I want to kind of know about this person beforehand. And she wished that the dating sites would sort of vet the people in the dating pool, but they didn't. They just wanted to grow at all costs. So they didn't care. You can make as many accounts as you want. And so she created a dating app that would vet people. It has an admissions process, sort of like you're applying to Harvard, but um, a cool company and and it was a fun conversation. So hope you enjoy this episode. This is probably going to be the last one like this, or at least on a regular basis where it's, hey, it's all about our guests telling their story from from sort of start to finish. And going forward, we're going to be doing a lot more brainstorms with me and Sam. Hope you guys like that. Uh, one other thing, the Facebook group is popping off right now. I think I just approved 100 members to get in. So if you go on Facebook and you just search My First Million, it's called like My First Million Startups, Investing, and Side Hustles. And it's basically just a community of people who are hustling to make, you know, get businesses off the ground and make their first million. And uh, I like it. I don't even, I mean, I'm in there as a participant. Some of the guests from the podcast are in there as participants, but it's just a cool community of listeners. Okay, that's it for me. Enjoy this episode. Thank you for getting to, getting us to the 1 million mark. And uh, yeah, we're only halfway up. So you're here, you, we, I don't even know how we got connected. I think we got connected on Twitter. Yeah, I'm not, you're one of my few uh, Twitter friends. You don't have that many Twitter friends? No, I was one of those people that started and only followed a couple different people that were in industry leaders. Gotcha. And so I don't have like regular friends on Twitter. <laughs> I make all my friends on Twitter. In fact, I told Sam this, I... 
Um, once a month, we'll just host a dinner just of people I've only known through Twitter. I never met them in real life. Oh, that's cool. And those have become some of my like good friends now. But that's like a Twitter tea party. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, we call it the Twitter dinner, but maybe Twitter tea party is better. Um, okay, so um, Amanda, you're here. Uh, you're the founder of the league. So we're going to go all over the place in this conversation, but let's start by giving people a sense of who you are, what you built, sure. and uh, what, what makes it interesting. So, so give us the rundown. So I created the league, which is a dating platform, now a community, really, because we, we do actually work for single and non-single people alike. Um, at this point, most of the users are single that use the league. It's so first and foremost, it is a dating app. Um, and the concept behind it was really focused on designing it for career oriented, ambitious people that didn't have a lot of time on their hands and didn't really want to play a game of Angry Birds every time they wanted to go on a date. So it was for the people that a game of, of Angry Birds didn't like, just... well, you know, most dating apps were so gamified shot, shot and they're all there to drive engagement numbers through the roof. And then, you know, a lot of them were doing advertising revenue models at that time. So they were really incentivized almost not to help you find a date, really to help you just keep swiping. So I just felt like it was so much time to even use these dating sites, and most of them were really bad. And the people I met, it wasn't so much even that the people on the dating apps were bad. It was just the the way it was designed was not designed for efficiency at all. And so I felt like I could just redesign it. And so I started thinking about it and wireframing it. And then I was graduating business school, and I decided I might as well just – Try building it, and at least it could work for me. <laughs> so, so dating app for one. <laughs> so you started this back when? Uh, how many? So years now ago? five years ago. So five years ago, and fast forward till today. Give us a sense of how's the business? Is it big? Is it small? Is it just getting started? You know, like what, give us a sense of scale of the business so we can understand. You started there. Sure. And how far has it come? Well, yeah. For, I mean, for a sense of scale, we started in San Francisco with 419 users. Okay. <laughs> so, and that was November 2014. Um, and so fast forward at this point, we're well over 100,000 daily active users and we're in uh, 70 cities. We just launched Singapore, Mexico City, uh, Australia. So we're now officially global. So we've, you know, but we went really slowly and carefully. Like we don't have a Snapchat like trajectory curve. I mean, right. we we really built each city almost by hand at the beginning and then automated what we had been right. doing manually. I mean, I remember in San Francisco, I was literally manually going through profiles and saying, okay, you put in a good profile, you're in, you're in, you're right. in. And like, because there is like an admi- essentially being the bouncer. There's an admissions <laughs> yeah. component to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, the idea behind it was, hey, if we all the users that have these half-baked profiles or are just window shopping or there to message you and catfish you or, you know, just kind of the the crap (laughs) users that just happen to to find themselves being drawn to dating sites everywhere. I mean, it's a problem in the whole industry. If we just screen them out from the beginning, then we don't have to worry about them affecting the user experience. So we basically have this like very curated community of, of people that actually want to be there, that want to find a date, that put a good profile together that aren't lying. So is it and fair to say you guys curate not just people that are real, but people that are also like professional and kind of have their shit together or it's yeah. not that Yeah, well, part. I mean, it's definitely geared for for those people that are like, look, I will trade time for money and I do want a platform that will help me find my partner. And and what does it cost? Um, so we, we have an admissions model. So if you put together a really great profile and sort of the community that you're applying to needs someone like you in the community, there, you know, we do put let people in for free. We call it a guest 
guest access. And then um, we'll also, you can pay to, to kind of skip the line and get expedited review. And then we'll help those people put together a good profile, give them optimization. So it's kind of like, um, you know, you can pay to essentially, ha- you know, have more visibility, be seen by more people. And then dating it. Kind of like is, university. You pay a little bit, your kid gets in. Well, <laughs> I would say it's more like if you are a mathematician and you recognize that, okay, only one out of three people that see you like you and you only like one out of three people, then the more people that can see you, the number of choices you have go up. And so, you know, I think it's for a lot of, we, we call them hedge fund Harvey, but we have a lot of these users that, that do the math in their head and are like, yeah, it's totally worth spending a lot of money for this because right. I'm saving myself so much time and I'm getting to see see my options, basically. And you were just telling me right before we started that you got engaged? I did. So the question is, was it... I'm officially was off it, the market. <laughs> was it through the app or was was it, you know, real life serendipity? No, I, it was actually through the league. Like, ironically enough, I was. we always joked that if it didn't happen through the league, I was going to have, you know, a hell of a time explaining it. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, no, I actually... It either was going to happen a, through the league or you were going to lie and say <laughs> it happened through the league. We were going to have to come up with something. <laughs> but uh, no, it actually did. I I met him in LA. So I joined the LA league. I decided to move my location, having dated in San Francisco and decided it was time for a little break. Um, what, what was wrong with the San Francisco market? <laughs> no, it was good. I just have been here, what, 10, 10 years now at this point. I knew the market really well. Um, <laughs> and I felt like I was... I joked, I felt like I was, you're standing on the edge of the pier, seeing the boats come in. Cause I knew, you know, I'm, I'm basically running this marketplace so I can actually see. And I was like, or I could go to LA where I haven't met anybody. Right. Um, and so it seemed like a, and when you saw his profile, what'd you see? What, what caught your eye? Well, he's a musician, so he's playing a guitar. Um, and yeah, he has kind of a, a different vibe than, than what I was I guess well, I was Used wanting to. to well yeah wanting to to try something I think a little bit different than me um so we're we are we are very different uh like on our Myers-Briggs I don't think we're, <laughs> we're very similar so we definitely complement each other but I think that was part of you know the part, part of the, what I love about the league and working in dating is that you're essentially like working in human psychology every right. day and so much of relationships is is kind of about understanding yourself and what you're looking for and what your childhood patterns are and what is like a healthy relationship and so i think i think the process of dating is actually quite therapeutic in some ways so do you almost um, feel like you know too much i think that well i know too much about the like the top of the funnel if you will of like you know how to optimize your profile and how to make sure your league score goes skyrockets like we all know at the (laughs) at the league what goes into that Uh, we all know how to hack our own league profiles and stuff (laughs) photo selection What, what are the key things well, of course, it's always photo selection. I mean, the higher res, the better, you know, better looking profile you have. The more model like the photo works, honestly, it's the, the better your score is, unfortunately. Did you, um, did you see this show? I always people like, glamour shots exist for a reason, guys. Right, they work. <laughs> did you see this show that came out on Netflix called The Circle? Have you no. seen this? All right, so, um, so Netflix is pushing this hard. So if you open up Netflix, you're going to see The Circle up top. It's basically their first game show. But what's interesting about it, what, what you said reminded me of it, is they put these eight people in a hotel. So they're all locked in the room. They can't go out, can't meet each other. But they uh, each create a little profile. And so the first thing they do when they get to the room is they pick their profile photo. And, and some people choose to catfish. They're like, you know, uh, it's a guy, but he's playing, his, yeah. he's playing his girlfriend. He's like, she looks so sweet. People here will like her. And so it's a game like Survivor, except you're not out in the wild. You're just locked in a hotel room. <laughs> and all you do is you put up your profile with a couple photos and a little status or a little tagline and you message each other and then 
uh, every whatever couple days, you rank it's like rank all the other players and who you like, who you want to keep. The bottom player gets ranked, gets kicked out. And so it's very interesting in this because some people were trying to choose like the model photo. Everybody listed themselves as single because they're like, look, people will want to engage a little more right. if, I, if I list myself as single. Uh, but it's a fun show, and I feel like. It'll be. Did they move around a lot through the weeks? Like, were their first impressions? Yeah. So basically, the first impression would be like, um, you know, whoever was at the top would go down. And actually, the optimal strategy was sort of to float by in the middle, so you weren't seen as too big of a threat. Like, because if you're too beautiful or too likable, um, some people would have a strong first impression either for or against you. But you were almost too polarizing. Like, you wouldn't make it all the way to the end of the show. And um, so that was interesting. I don't know. It's a a bad show, to be clear. It's a really bad TV show. But uh, the psychology and as they're talking through like why I'm picking this photo because I want to show this other side of me right my right. first photo was really professional so my second photo I need with my right. dog like you need to show I always say yeah. get, scuba like, diving show somebody else besides yourself in right. one of the photos <laughs> that you care about something other than yourself <laughs> and what do you feel about like people who put a photo like let's say uh, uh, you know I'm a guy I put a photo of myself and another girl but it's a friend uh, good move bad move in a in a dating app I mean if you if you really don't have any other photos it's better than <laughs> not, <laughs> you know, not putting it. And if it's a good photo of you and it's better than a, a bad photo of another one, it's still fine. But I, I would say... Not optimal. Uh, not ideal, right? Okay. <laughs> Again, it depends on how much you're trying to optimize. You know, I think, I, I think one of the things people like about the league is that you kind of cut your teeth or dip your toe in the water on the bumble or the tenders of the world and then you're kind of ready to join the league and like graduate to the league and so people are really there and they're like they have their shit together they have their profile together they want to meet someone they want to go on like two dates to four dates a month and and they're kind of there for not for business (laughs) that sounds wrong but you know they're they're there for a reason and so i think that's what we find works really well in the league is when you make a profile that that sort of shows that that you're taking it seriously and you have the high resolution photos you've asked a friend with an iphone to take portrait mode i mean it's not that hard right so just putting a little bit of effort goes right. a long way, I think. So what I like about what you're doing is, um, you know, there was always like this sort of serious platforms like an eHarmony or a Match. Right. And then there was sort of the very casual platforms. And the problem with the serious platforms was that um, they felt very old, outdated, and the seriousness was very much around marriage. Whereas uh, sometimes you're looking for a serious person, but not necessarily like, I'm ready to be married right away. Right. And I think you guys found a sweet spot that's in the middle of the sort of ultra casual stuff and then the like I'm ready to get hitched right away totally is that kind of how you thought about it originally or uh, how did you sort of decide where to position yourself I mean, honestly, I built it for myself, right? So I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but I, you know, I, I was using like Hinge and OkCupid, and I remember I was writing support tickets, <laughs> being like, "You guys should really build this feature." And then, you know, so I, I kind of designed it based on my own issues. And at the time, I was 28, 29. You and, were in business school or came out of um, business school? I was still in business school my last semester, and I was like, you know, having to drive an hour into San Francisco to go on a date. So every date I had to, you know, the cost was two hours of commute time. Right. So these dates had to be good. So that's why I was like. Like looking at everyone on LinkedIn and trying to find their Twitter and being like, okay, if I cross-reference him in this, and if, yeah, look at his Wikipedia page. So I was doing, like, you know, legit stalking these people before right. accepting dates, which is work, right? So that was like, why can't the dating app just do that work for us? So, but anyway, so that's really who it is designed for, is, like, I wasn't necessarily ready to, like, go and get married, but I want to start maybe dating more seriously, maybe dating with the eye to think about someone that could be a fit for marriage like right. you're not 23 yeah, so a candidate but you don't want to like be freaking everybody out by saying hey i need to be married right. in a year 
All right, it's 2020, new year. It's going to be a big year. And you know we had to come in with some new awesome partners. So for January, we are partnering up with Microsoft and My First Million. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Microsoft because whether you're just starting out or you're well on your way to your first million, Microsoft Teams can help your team hit the ground running. With must-have features like real-time chat, editing, and video calling, all in one easy-to-use platform. Teams is a no-brainer at a price you can afford. Yep, there is a free version of Teams, as in it costs $0. See for yourself at aka.ms slash the hustle. Again, that's aka.ms slash the hustle to check out Teams, brought to you by Microsoft. I love it. Microsoft, that is a trillion dollar company, right? We're talking about My First Million. They're on My First Trillion, so that's goals for everybody. They got there because they build Epic products, Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint. These are products that stand the test of time. And now they've come out with Teams to help Teams chat, communicate, and work together. And I think it's awesome. All right, great. Let's get back to this episode. So, yeah, I wanted to kind of make it in more of a community. That's why we always say we're a community, not a dating app, um, because, you know, we also have, like, groups and events. Like, you can be in the yoga group or the dog, people with dogs and the surfers and so it's you know not that that's like a giant um use case that's necessarily taking off but i think the point is we want to be more like a local kind of social network that is very very social people which happen to be often single people right but but offering more of that kind of in real life and that's what i love about what we're doing with this video chat is that we're actually putting people on live video together tell people what it is so what's it called what's Um, the feature called so we're we're doing two different things that are kind of both designed to get people closer in real life. So one is through video and it's basically um, kind of like chat roulette back in the day, but you know, chat roulette was super random and you would just be yeah. paired with anyone in the world that, of like any, <laughs> any age yeah, or anything. Every third yeah. person was naked. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, and I heard that that happened too. Um, so basically we actually take your preferences into account. We know your, your voting history. We know who you've liked, who you've matched with, and we essentially put you into the same pool and, and match you in real time with someone that we think is going to meet most so of your other preferences. other people who are online right now, they have the open at 9 p.m. Right. Everybody get on. It's a happy hour, basically. So it's kind of like serendipity in a in an app in a way because it's like it depends on exactly what time you go that the you know then you'll trigger the algorithm to go search for right. someone. If your the match score is a certain amount, you'll you kind of will get matched up. But if the, your score isn't. You know, if you're not an acceptable match for each other, you'll keep looking. So it's like, uh, it's kind of like taking what speed dating, those old speed dating um, restaurants and bars would host them and just have to do all this manual labor to like move people around. And now you can just do it with, you know, pushing a button. So I think that's going to be a huge trend. And then the other trend that we think is super interesting is um, getting people in real life offline at the same place at the same time and just helping them sort of navigate their social nightlife compass. So we call that like party scout, but it's basically... If everyone's going to the marina on Thursday night who's 28 and single and, you know, in my city, maybe I should go to the marina instead right. of going to Hayes Valley that night or right. whatever. So and so uh, those are some of the, like, I think trends that will be coming that's where the, the That's where the puck's going. That's where I'm excited about, I guess. I, it's unclear how, like, much monetization that stuff happens, you know, comes with. But I think... I think that's where it makes sense. Technology makes sense as an application to solve a problem. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe in that. I, I was, I lived in Australia back in the day and there was a dating app there or dating website because this was sort of like, you know, smartphones weren't as big of a deal back then. And um, they did this. And I've always wondered why nobody else did this. So basically the whole website was you were only matched with people who are also online right now. And people would naturally just get online kind of after work in the evening, these prime times. Yeah. And so you would see, all right, there's whatever, 42,000 people online right now. And you would just see 
people there you'd see a single photo of theirs and you start chatting with them and you knew you were getting a response back right away so it's like, like AOL back in the day <laughs> exactly but you knew they're all trying to date so you're not a creep for reaching out like we're all here right. because we're saying we're trying to date and uh, so compared to OkCupid or Match where you had to write essentially write a letter and then wait that was slow right even the tinders you still sort of wait for matches and then kind of come back later this was like it was exciting you would get online and you'd be like oh it's gonna i'm gonna meet i'm gonna talk to a bunch of people right now and so you'd start all these conversations and then as the conversation was going good they had this great feature where you would the person could unlock more photos of themselves for you and so it was kind of like hey i'm liking this here's some more photos of me i was like take your clothes off (laughs) yeah but it was more photos right so uh yeah and the last photo who knows what's in that last photo but i always like that because it was like these little indicators of interest that you usually don't get online with video chat you sort of can see their face you can see if they're into it or not they can swipe away and leave if not but I love this idea that's kind of my long-winded way of saying this I've always wondered why more people don't try this like synchronous it's hard I mean you have to have a we you know our user base is small comparatively and it's hard for us I can't imagine a a startup doing it with no users because it's you know it's hard to get even even the people so we have like the concept of an RSVP that that they're going to go and then the concept of like who actually shows up at 9 and Huge flake rate. I was like bigger than, you know, and I run events for, for a living and I've seen flaky people in San Francisco for sure. And right. it was like, a, you know, 50% flake rate. So I think it's hard to get. Just right. You need density. It. Building a user behavior, right? right? And we'd have to start training our users. But they are starting to come in at nine. And and I do think, um, you know, it is we are growing slowly the future, but it is scary for people, I think, to be like so exposed for right. two full minutes. <laughs> So let me ask you, you come up with this idea in business school, like many people do, and... Uh, An MBA with a PowerPoint. Uh, yeah. Uh, or unlike, Google Slides now, yeah. <laughs> unlike most people, you decided to do it. So let's go slow through the steps. So, Despite every single sane person that I respect telling me not to go into the dating space. Right. So first tell me this. You have this idea. Who do you bounce it off of? Friends, mentors? Who, who do you bounce it off of first? Oh, everyone. Tons of classmates, tons of uh, and, my professors, yeah. And the reaction you're getting is what? Run. Dating is too hard. Run away. Do see yeah, because <laughs> I I worked at Salesforce. They were like, right. just what? What? You're such a great girl. Why don't you just go B two B? Don't do consumer because you know consumer is so Difficult. so fickle. It's hard. You know, there's not a playbook as much as there is in B two B. And so, what made you? Do you remember the night or the day where you were like, screw it, I'm going to do it anyways? <sighs> I mean, no, I started, well, I decided that I was going to build it anyway, and um, worst case, it could just be a side project while I go get a regular job, right. and then I decided to, uh, one of my investors said he would give me 25K to put into it, so I decided that I wanted to launch it, and if I could launch it and raise at least 500K in funding, then I would do it full-time, and that was the decision I made. So it was less, because I knew I wanted to build it anyway, and so it was more like, how do I evaluate if, because it's not even just, just when you build it, you don't know for sure if it's going to be a business that, that has legs. So I just wanted to, so I felt like getting funding was at least the the closest signal I could do. So you're not a programmer. Um, not, I I would say I'm more of a, a hacker. Okay. Did you build the first version yourself? Uh, no, no, no. We had a, I had an engineer build it and it was all front end and objective C. I right. don't do, I don't do iOS. And so, uh, this was somebody you hired full time is kind of a, like a freelancer. How did you get it built? Yeah. Freelancer, uh, Stanford undergrad Great. who was looking to like learn. 
learn. So do you remember so. how much you paid for that first prototype, first V1? Because a lot of our audience is people who are you know in your shoes. They're in business school. Yeah. Or they're thinking about starting something. And it's always these – and I'm going to ask a bunch of questions about the early phase because this is where most people really want to know. And it's sort of like black box. It's like, yeah. so how much does it cost to make something like this? And how would you get your first 100 customers? So those are the questions I want to walk through. Yeah, no, they're good questions. And, and I think people have crazy assumptions sometimes. But I think I paid him $4,000 a month. Right. And But I had – with that came him sitting next to me working as an engineer and I was the product manager and we worked side by side in a you and know, it took work. how long to get the kind of um, V1 ready we, la- we started really working after I graduated in June and launched it by November and he rolled off because we you know I just hired him to get the prototype out right. and then I was going to um, that was sort of our, our arrangement. And so he rolled off in December. So, so six months-ish. Yeah. And uh, you said something about like 400 users in San Francisco. Uh, was that the launch essentially? Yeah, that was our November 12th launch. I think it was 419 logged in, and then it grew from there. And, and who, were, who were those friends. 419? Where'd you get 419 people? Oh, probably my Stanford friends. Okay. <laughs> no, so. it was like, it was basically like I pulled every single person I knew at Google, Salesforce, where I used to work, uh, Stanford and Carnegie Mellon. And so there's a lot of that. I think one of my friends joked when he opened the app, he was like, you should just call this MBA date. Right. Because it was like <laughs> all the, oh, I got the Harvard MBAs, Wharton MBAs, because I threw a mixer that summer with the sole purpose of like, you guys are going to be my launch, right? Uh, kind of my launch my launch team, essentially. So um, it was a definitely a lot of like 30-year-olds that were in the exact uh, demo of what I was designing it for. Right. You know, looking to start seriously dating, but... You know, not necessarily ready for like any harmony type of experience. So, 419 people uh, who you kind of source through your network or the mixers that you threw pre launch, um, they open the app. And now, does it sort of start doing anything or is it like kaput after the first one? You have to re, because many startups have to restart up, relaunch oh, yeah. multiple no, we times. Have tons. We have, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on like mobile app nightmares. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we were using Facebook's Parse at the time, which has now been sunset, but it was like a giant. Uh, giant uh, disaster, more or less, because uh, after we got to a certain amount of users, um, the algorithm that we had built was actually on the front end of the code, and, and essentially you would take almost five minutes to load your batch Matches, of potentials. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was a pretty bad situation where we actually couldn't put more users in for like a couple months until we fixed that. Um, but now you know we, we did, so we ended up rebuilding that app from scratch. But but because of that, it's like nice and new, and you know right. it was a year of like terrible construction but then we now we can be an international and we've kind of got all the scaling stuff done with and so so from that first kind of november 12th launch how long did it take for you to feel like hey this actually might work um yeah i'm not sure but like i'm i'm seeing something that's telling me that this is working well i think when people kept logging in despite having to wait five minutes <laughs> that was like one indicator <laughs> that's a good way to test I was like wow we gave them a really crappy experience and they still came back um because i think it was at the ultimate, at the end of the day, it was like we had people that were interested in in meeting, and that was that was what we did really well. We curated an awesome group of people, so I think that was a big one. When we started, when people started referring friends, we had a pretty high. I think it was like forty percent of people referring, um, which is quite higher than the average. And then I think what what we also did, which I always tell people to to do, is so my engineer he wasn't a back end engineer, so he didn't know how to do any of the billing or payment stuff. But I wanted to know like how many people would pay or what percentage of people would pay. So we ended up building a feature and just saying upgrade and then we just told the user that we would charge their card their card <laughs> on a file with apple and they just push okay and so we ended up finding that we had like a 15 percent conversion rate on you know a right. membership <laughs> without me having to actually sell payments you know, hand, deal, handle payments because we were not ready for that that's smart i um, like that 
and then we didn't. We actually started monetizing in 20, 2016 with the new app, um, and then that's when you start having paying customers, which was another milestone, which I was a little unprepared for. And that's when you really need a good customer support team. So that's when we started building out right. uh, kind of the, our, our customer success and our concierge team. And so, is the business profitable to it? Today? Yeah, we just as of as of our end of year two thousand nineteen financials, we are officially profitable. That's amazing. Uh, not to, not taxable yeah. profit, but thank goodness. Um, yeah, but we, yeah, we did. Don't worry, the IRS doesn't listen to my podcast, so we're all good. <laughs> I know, I'm like, I'm not giving it to California yet. Um, but yeah, so that was exciting because that was something that was important to me was to be able, I wanted us to grow, but I didn't want to grow at the expense of profitability. I just think in our space, it, it, you don't have to, people are willing to pay in our space. And it's also just, it's a huge risk to the business. You can kind of be in this unsustainable position where you're spending money to to keep your revenue at the same rate. But if you drop your marketing, your whole right. ship drops. And I, I've just seen so many horror stories. So I really wanted to to both grow profit and grow revenue. And we were able to do both, which is exciting because it's easy to like grow revenue when you grow marketing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if people don't know this, so I looked, I think we launched a dating app. I ran this idea lab for five years. And I one of the things we launched was a dating app. And I looked into it and there's this crazy thing. I don't know how true this was, but something I read at the time was all the, let's call it, you know, sort of generation one of dating apps that got big, all the sort of IAC owned apps like Match and whatnot. Their business model essentially was you, uh, free account, but, um, there was, they would sort of get you to message somebody and then – but if you wanted to reach out past a certain point, it was like you have to pay uh, or no, to receive your messages right. or to like read your messages, you had to pay. And so what they were doing was they were showing you matches of people who don't use the service anymore. And so like let's say you see 30 profiles. 29 of those would be people who don't use the like service deactivated, anymore. Deactivated. Yeah. inactive users because they want to message that person and say, hey, there's a message waiting for you. Come back right. and check it. And for you, you're basically talking to a dead end and you don't realize it because they make it look active right and so they're using you to like re-engage their users because they're trying to get them to come back yeah check their like inbox and pay and, um, and that's what they got in trouble for doing it's with the such scammers a shady too. Model. The scammers they they sent the scammers to the people who hadn't paid for memberships but they didn't send the scammers to the people who already paid and that's what they're getting sued for <laughs> well, right so, now. so they they how does that work so they knowingly had scammers so that's a big issue in our industry there's all these people doing romance scams and so that's you know a hard part every day you're always trying to, to to deal with that. But so what Match did, which was actually a, a solution to the problem, a, a very unethical one, but they just said, well, let me send the scammers to the people who have not yet converted to membership and tell them they have a message waiting from a right. very good looking profile because they're a scammer. Right. And then so you get hundreds of thousands of subscriptions sold through basically a sales force full of scammers right. that you're using to, so, I mean, it's almost like genius in its evilness. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that's somebody like me in the company who's like, yeah, here's the idea, guys. Yeah. And then, was, of course, it comes around in the end. Like, Session or something. I was like, wow, this is like an evil. I mean, I'm sure it probably wasn't, you know, that nefarious, but it, but it, it is. They that do, was their model. Our industry is known for doing a lot of like shady stuff like right. that. And you have all these different apps that have these different models. Some raise tons of money, others like plenty of fish, like kind of. Famously oh my gosh, he's like my role him. model, man. He, so he didn't tell, take tell any people, money. Why is he your role model? What did, what did he do? Well, first of all, he, he coded. So I code a lot. So I mean, part of how we were able to kind of keep costs down and be able to be super lean is that I, I'm like super in the weeds on the product and I, I'm handling, I'm doing heavy lifting or I was at that time. And he's the same way. Like he really, you know, he built 
all the algorithms. He would go and ship code at night, and he was able to basically not have to raise any funding. Right. Um, bootstrapped it bootstrapped to like it, some crazy scale. Right? Kept the team pretty small and like just you know did a not like a lifestyle business. It was basically almost like the benefits of a lifestyle business with the exit value of a. How much did they sell for? Andreessen backed startup or something. They sold for hundreds of millions, right? Yeah, 800 million. Yeah. Jeez. And he owned the whole thing. (laughs) Isn't that insane? That is insane. Yeah. Congrats. And also, like, if you ever used Plenty of Fish, it was kind of the worst product. Oh, it's crappy. But, I mean, he he, – so the thing in our industry is all the people that got big all hacked an acquisition channel that was new, and they used Facebook Newsfeed before it got regulated. They used uh, Google mobile ads before they got – anyone knew what they were doing. Marcus knew Facebook ads inside and out, and when they launched countries, he would just – from what I heard, I tried to read all these people's secrets, but what I heard is they would just basically um, stuff the channels where you spend so much money, no one else can compete. And then so when you're in Brazil and you type anything in dating, it's all plenty of fish everywhere. Right. And they almost like sponsor the Bought internet. the whole market, yeah. <laughs> For the month of their launch. And so you, you have to have enough money to do that, of course. But he was nobody was paying for Google mobile ads at the time, so it was cheap. So you basically are finding arbitrage opportunities, which is why it's really hard to grow what when the you other, don't have one. <laughs> what did the other dating apps do? So I remember with Tim. Tinder, uh, looking into it, and they have some story. I don't know how important this was, but the story was they launched on college campuses, and they would send somebody, I think Whitney, in, and she would go talk at a sorority or fraternity and be like, hey, everybody in the room, download this app right now. They would get the whole sorority on, walk across the street to the fraternity, have them download it, and be like, hey, look, all these matches are on, and then they would throw a party that night, and you have to show Tinder on your phone in order to get yeah. it. I don't know if this is exactly I the model, but they did. Yeah. I've read stories like this, which is really smart, um, but difficult to do in a way it's it doesn't sound that difficult but most entrepreneurs don't like to get out of the room and go do this um so what did you look at that you were like oh i can do here's my here's my way to grow well i did that i mean i did i did that exact same thing but with my mba network or my salesforce network um but i did you know i did a ton of events in san francisco because a I feel like that's how you build your brand. You know, when you're at the beginning stages, people don't associate well with a brand they only know online. They want to know the person behind the brand. So I just felt like it was a good way to to build a brand. And also, the main thing we're selling is people meeting each other, which is a physical product, actually. So it's like, why not give them the product they're looking for, which is to meet people. So it makes so much sense for a dating app to to market with events. I think the hard part is we've done this. It's just, you can maybe break even on events, but it just becomes, uh, you're eventually running an event marketing arm, right? (laughs) which is opposite of running a software company where you're (laughs) like focused on. So, and when you're small, you have to kind of decide which one you want to do really well. So we chose to to, to be more of a product and a software company, but I still think like we're partnering with event right now to, to try to, to still be offering, to still be able to offer events without having to kind of put them on ourselves right Um, because that's what we found it was like even with an ambassador programs there's still overhead and management for sure you're still having someone represent your brand so So when you guys go to a new city you know you you want to go open up moscow or wherever tomorrow Always do a rooftop bar. That's what we, So you have a playbook. You yeah, basically we have, have a playbook. <laughs> just pay for whatever the coolest rooftop bar is. That's interesting. You don't care about the venue cost. Why? People love going to a rooftop just, bar? I love it. It's better to pay up and just <laughs> not worry that your venue, you picked a bad venue. So we, we believe in uh, <laughs> rooftop bars have a very high success rate. And uh, has there any been, has there been anyone who's really helped you uh, from an advisor mentor level? Uh, can you tell us a story about you know somebody or a moment where they kind of helped shift your direction? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, I I lean on my 
business school network a lot. So, I mean, I feel like the league was incubated at Stanford. Uh, I was in this venture studio. It's sort of like for the people that are getting ready to go into StartX, we actually didn't get into StartX. Um, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's a ton of entrepreneurial programs at Stanford. And actually, four of my professors invested in the league as angels. Nice. Um, and so I basically took advantage do of that. Do a lot of professors do that? Do a lot of professors do angel investing? And I think they do. That's kind a of lot amazing. of them. It's a pretty cool perk of the job, right? You get first dibs on a lot of Stanford startups. Right. Um, but yeah, so so one of the things I always go back and talk to them a lot is about people management stuff, just because that's something I, I didn't come into doing a lot of that. When I started the league, that wasn't my background. And um, there's always these situations that you would never dream up. Like you right. just couldn't make some of this stuff up where you're, you know, you're dealing with human psychology and trying to understand how do you um, keep someone motivated but need to hire above someone and how right. do you deal with it talks about equity and things where people feel you know you're almost like mediating really tough situations and so I actually had one of my professors um, mediated between me and my first hire about the one who, uh, who I had contracted with about our equity split and um, actually helped us like come to a, a good to agreement a on that yeah, yeah. and um, um, for, you, for How many people are at the league now? How many people are on the team? So we're about 30. 30. Okay, great. And do you like managing? I like building first. Okay. And then I like, and I like managing this. <laughs> how do I say this? <laughs> um, I don't like managing for the sake of managing. Like right. I, I like managing when it. To get stuff done. When, yeah, when I'm seeing something done. So I love product management, for instance, um, because you're, you know, you're managing sort of. That you're, you're building this thing and you're managing the team that is, is creating it. I think just sort of day-to-day people management isn't my strength. Like, I don't love, you know, doing performance reviews or right. I don't love thinking about org charts or compensation plans or right. things like that. And so I think I, I prefer smaller teams because there's a lot of less... Less... Less of that stuff. Overhead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Sam talk about this all the time. It's like, now that we've gotten a couple of exposures to, you know, different businesses and, and how, how they grew and some are small, now we got acquired. So I'm at Twitch where there's like 2,000 people. Yeah. And so when I, I, know, work, I want to hear about that experience. When I work with Emmett and, and he, you know, he's the CEO of this big company and it's, you know, owned by Amazon and all this stuff. And I see his day to day and I literally had the thought, I was like, wow, uh, I would never want to do this. And it's not that he's unhappy. He, you know, he enjoys it. But I realized through seeing it, I'm like, this is not what I want. I used yeah. to think that. I used Me to think, too. man, I want to big, build this big, huge company, king I used to of the think universe. I to be Cheryl Sandberg. Yeah, and now I'm like, no, like. <laughs> and now I look at her job, and I'm like, first of all, I'm not even good at any of those things right. now that I know. My trick, I need to figure out a way to get demoted, so I'm managing nobody. Yeah. Uh, but get paid a more. Creative director. Yeah. I decided that's what I want my title to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like special projects. Nobody knows what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. Um, Google X. Yeah. You said you're, you said you wanted to ask about that. What did you want to ask about? Oh, just yeah, how how that experience was going. Going from small small company to big, or what was yeah, part? I guess. Well, I guess just the journey or the after aftershock, maybe how, how <laughs> it feel, how it felt then, how it feels now, and so. When it happened, I, I had a whole bunch of assumptions. Like joy, grief, like, I don't know. Relief. First relief because, uh, like, I gave a talk at HustleCon called How to Sell a Failing Company uh, because we weren't taking off like a rocket ship when we sold. It wasn't Instagram getting bought by right. Facebook, right? We were like, hey, you built something interesting. You have an interesting user, user base, but this isn't like super profitable. It's not in hyper growth mode. Right. Um, and I, you know, it's I like told- you have to choose one of those, right? It's yeah. It's like, you either need to be super profitable or- And I told my investor, I was like, look, I think we have something, but the road to get where we want to go is long, A, and B, 
we also have way more information now that tells us this is not going to be one of those mega companies. You know, the reason we got together and decided to do this, I don't believe that outcome is going to happen. So my opinion is we should try to sell this thing. And uh, he was like, okay, wow, you know, you, if you, want, that you want to do this. Yeah, I also needed a change. I've been doing it for like five, six years at the time of a couple different pivots. and. But then none of the investors brought it up to you. You, you brought it up I to brought them. it up. Wow. Uh, and so he was like, I, I think his preference would have been to keep going, but... Uh, you know, he was super understanding and was like, look, that, that makes sense. So I said, here's what we're going to do. Let's take the next 30, 60 days and let's see if we can get an offer. And um, so I went and started, to, I basically took the meetings that, you know, some people had been interested. Right. Other people had never even heard of us. And I started knocking on those doors and taking, uh, replying to the people who already showed interest. So by the time we got ready to do it, it was just a relief that the deal closed, right? Because there's so much that goes into it. And that's what my talk at HustleCon was for is like, nobody teaches you how to do this. And now that I went through it, I'm like, oh, I should write this down because there's nothing on the internet about how to sell a company that's not in, totally. you know, there's a lot of things about how to sell when you're big and successful. Right. And the answer there is pretty much just like hire a, just hire a, a banker. Going. Yeah. yeah, hire a banker and pick, you know, your offer. Um so anyhow, by the time it was done, it was relief. How long did it take? We went really fast. So we got our term sheet in 45 days after we decided to start the process. And Your um, first term sheet, did you get more than one? Yeah, we got th- we got two. And then by the time the third, we were going to get a third one, but we told them like they weren't close. So we they were just like, be close, yeah, yeah, they weren't going to be close. And then um, then we ended up closing 45 days after that. So the whole thing t- took 90 days, three wow. months total. And from like... You're a closer. That, that conversation. That's awesome. Well, that's what I told my I team. I can't even fundraise like <laughs> a million dollar seed that fast. Well, I told my team, I was like, unfortunately, the best thing I did as your leader was this last 90 days. I wish Jeez. I had been, I had run the company as well as I sold the company. Yeah, right? that's great. Um, but you know, whatever. Yeah, but that, they say that's how you're supposed to do it, run a really tight process and time is the enemy of all deals. Right. And I, I had these people that I, I called my, my deal doulas. And so like my wife just had a baby and that's when I learned what a doula does. And for the deal, I had these five deal doulas and one of them, he told me, you know, he when I showed him the term sheet, I told him, hey, we got the term sheet. Um, and we're going to sign this one. I thought that was the end of the process. And he's like, oh, this now is, you need to do all now deal. you need to sprint the hardest. And I was like, what? Because I had, in my, I had mentally started to ease up. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. Like you need to, like now you need to sprint to the finish, through the finish line, because this is not the finish line. This just tells you there is a finish line. <laughs> and uh, so, so it was really helpful. Data, like data requests. Yeah. We had to like do that. our data room, get through due diligence, make sure that like nobody, like the deal doesn't fall through. The, the execs on their side stay happy. My team stays together and doesn't start yeah. like, you know, getting itchy. And you uh, told your team? I told my team, which was an unpopular, I told him from day one, I said, look, I can't come in and look you in the face and say, hey, go work your ass off on this feature when I know we're not going forward with that feature. So I told him, I said, but look. after you had it signed, I assume, right? Before. Oh, yeah. Which was, that's the part that was like unconventional. I said, I'm going to run a process next, next 30 days and I'm going to know what type of appetite there is. You've been working hard for like four years straight, like really, really hard. Um, I need you to relax. I need you to trust me and I need you to not talk to anybody. I will give you, I will tell you what's going on and I'll tell you if it's going to happen. I'll tell you if it's not going to happen and we'll wait, we'll figure out a way forward either way. But um, I need you to just chill and let me do my thing. And I said, if anybody wants to learn about how this process works to sell this thing, I'm going to have to figure it out myself. There's an opportunity if you want to learn something. Nobody, t- nobody say. took me up on it. That's what I always Not say. Startups are like an MBA, a much cheaper <laughs> MBA. I, I was like, I was like, where are these guys? Don't they want to know? Like, yeah. it was the most fascinating process to me to figure this out. 
but nobody took me up on it. I don't, I'll never understand why. But yeah, it was just relief. And then when I got there, I felt rejuvenated. Like I was like, oh, here's a whole new situation, bunch of new people, new shit to learn. Um, you know, let's see what this is like. I've never worked at a huge tech company. Right. And okay, let's go. Let's go try that experience. Uh, so I'm still there right oh, now, okay. and so let's go try this out, and let's see if this is great or if this is horrible. We'll, we'll find out. That's exciting, yeah. though. And so you know, that's and that's now what you this have the last Chris corporate life. Yeah, I got you know, I get to do my podcast. Yeah, I got to do all I this do stuff. A podcast. I was like, that's the that's the dream is if you get to a bigger, you know, you get the company bigger, then you can have a little more time. You always think, but then it's like, you yeah, I don't think, think that. that ever but then happens. every time, <laughs> the time doesn't come. I found that it only happened when the company had sold. And yeah. then I, actually, I started this during due diligence because there's nothing for me to do at that point. I was just kept asking the lawyers what's going on. And they're like, hey, we're waiting for, you know, Amazon's lawyers to get back to us. Nothing we could do. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I started getting itchy. And I was like, well, I can't start like a new business. That would be right. stupid. That would jeopardize the deal. Oh, I'll start a podcast. I've always wanted to do that. Let's see what happens. And then now, fast forward like six months uh, since then. And I think we're at about a million downloads in six months, which is like crazy. And so uh, I didn't expect that, basically. So what happens? You put a founder on a podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the fun thing is um, you probably feel this, too, which is you meet people and you hear these stories. You hear their story. I hear, you know, if, if we had just met normally, this would be over dinner or drinks or whatever. And you hear it and you're like, holy shit, this is why people move to Silicon Valley is right. to be surrounded by these people. But I remember what it was like yep. to not be in Silicon Valley. I was in Australia before I moved here, literally the other side of the earth. And so I remember wanting to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. And so that was the impetus. It's like, what if I just – let's start with just 10 people who I've already heard their stories and they're amazing. But this time I'll push record and now other people can listen to it and like let's see – let's take it from there see what happens. Yeah. No, I've always wanted to eavesdrop on conversations, which is why I think podcasts are so – Cool, because well, it feels like you're, it's what you're doing. Now you're the founder of a, of a tech company, uh, you know. Thank tech you for calling it a tech company tech and not a dating app. Tech companies love, well, <laughs> I was actually going to make a joke that tech companies love to spy on their, their eavesdrop on their users, but. Um, oh, I know. No, we're, hey, so we're one of the few independents left, so we're we're trying to and what know, goes, combine forces so that we can be the beacons of, of hope for the tech community. What goes through your mind when Facebook's like, oh, yeah, we're doing dating now? Is it? What happens in the company that day? You hear that news. Is it? Does it even? Is it even a blip on the radar? Do you address it? Do you think about it? Oh, of course. I yeah. mean, it's <laughs> it's like one of the scariest things that can happen <laughs> to any industry. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. We it came right after they had um, started really cutting down the API access too. So about six months before they released Facebook dating, they basically stopped letting anyone look at profession and education in your hometown and your age and your mutual friends, which most of us had built our whole apps around. Tinder had built around it. Bumble had built around it. Hinge. We all did mutual friends. We all... So they basically just cut off that that data source. And we luckily use LinkedIn as our primary data source. And Facebook is more of a, like, nice to have. So we were actually one of the few that were left sort of okay. I mean, we're still bleeding, but the other people were totally cut cut off. And they now have no social graph, which was part of why these apps even made it because they were they synced with your identity and they facebook is better at scam detection than matches right so people forget that like facebook gave us a lot of they did a lot of work and a lot of data and then now they're taking it away and so it's yeah it's almost like we're going backwards um back into the wild west of like everyone's anonymous now on the internet and so now the the problems that with an anonymous internet are happening worse right so, yeah, I guess a long, long way, long-winded way to say that I, I don't think they're putting a lot of money or horsepower behind it, but 
and I actually think it's good for demographics that live in uh, rural areas and are not high density because it's the biggest database wins in right. dating in general. Um, but I don't see them as a big competitor in like what you, you know New York do. City yeah. like elite or professional dating right. or anything like that. You just don't want LinkedIn dating to come out. No, I you know I pitched LinkedIn on letting me run uh, their LinkedIn <laughs> dating when I interviewed there before at or school. after. It was before <laughs> I interviewed a business school and I said all we need to do is add one button, single or not Heart. single. Yeah, and we got a dating app on our hands and let me run this. And I was like a you know fresh MBA that was. Asking asking to run my own division and they didn't give me an offer. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, not only are we not going to do this, we don't like your yeah. can-do attitude. Yeah. <laughs> you, you stay out of here. It's a little too ambitious. So then right. that's why our tagline right. is an app for the overly ambitious. Because I was like, I'm just going to do it myself. You have an API. <laughs> right. I like it. Um, so, but yeah, LinkedIn, it now, but they got bought by Microsoft. I mean, it, the world changed in the five years I've been doing this. It was like a totally different place in 2014 than it is now. And now it's uh, it's kind of unclear what's, what's going to happen with all the privacy regulations and cookies are going away. And like. right. Yeah, the, the data, data stuff is, is interesting. So one of the questions I like to ask everybody who comes in is uh, knowing what you know about your space now. Two questions. So the first one is knowing what you know about your space. Oftentimes when you're operating a business, you see adjacent opportunities. It's like, we're trying to build this thing. And man, it was so hard for us to take payments in India. There should be a, a payments stripe for India. That should exist. Have you noticed any sort of like adjacent opportunities as you've been building your business? Uh, either something that would help your company run better or help dating apps grow or whatever. You know, like, is there anything you've observed that you guys aren't going to go do, but you, you've seen, you've noticed? Yeah, it's a good. It's, it's a, a good tough question. question. I know. No, I, yeah, but I mean, we are on the ground floor, like building tools, and we're you know we were one of the first the first adopters of branch metrics. They actually were classmates of mine, but nice. you know around mobile attribution. So we're definitely kind of deep in the ad ad tech space and seeing all the changes happen. Um, I guess for me though, it's less about. Um, what we've wanted to always build is sort of this global blacklist, I guess you could think of it, where there's bad all these actors. bad actors and all of us are the non-Facebook and the non-Google people. We right. like don't have huge databases and machine learning teams and right. giant infrastructure to prevent like thieves from getting on the apps and stuff like that. And we're all literally solving the same problems. Every dating app founder and every social messaging app I talked, we're all solving the same problems. Repeatedly. Tons of different ways, different approaches. No one's learning from each other. So it's like a way to, to actually sort of solve auth and identity um, without necessarily having to work with Google and Apple. Right. And obviously you have to work with the hardware, but, but can we, can we at least say, well, we checked with all of the ind other independent people and we all know that this person is a sexual predator. So, we are all going to not let him right. be on Coffee Meets Bagel or Hinge or the League or Bumble, and like, like, how do we like use put the user safety first? Right. And and I think no business models are really incentivized to do that to share that data, and because it doesn't. So if there's a way to, I almost call it like the WW3C of like online right. safety and trust and safety and data privacy and creating sort of a. I don't know, an alliance. Totally. You know, we, um, I'd heard, so a couple stories related to this. I'd heard that back in the day when Facebook was growing like crazy, like kind of earlier tech, um, I talked to some of the guys who did like security ops or um, like the scaling issues. And they were all trying to solve the same things. Like, oh my God, we're growing like crazy. How do we scale? No company's ever scaled this much before or security issues. They're getting DDoSed and you know, right. threats like that. And these guys would have this underground brunch. They didn't even tell the employer. It's just like the guy who's stressing out about this at every company and they would do this brunch. And at that brunch, they would be like, 
here's how we're trying to attack it. Just share information. That was one. The second is there's a company called SIF Science. You heard of them? Yeah. And so they, they were basically the Facebook fraud team, I think, or the Facebook sort of like um, trust and safety team that spun out and then tried to say, hey, we're going to build right, we looked at Facebook them, yeah. level tools and make it available. We used them and we had a lot of success when we had a, we built an app that was growing. It got to like 4 million users, but um, Martin Shkreli was one of them. Do you know who this guy is? Mm-mm. If you Google most hated man in America, okay. he comes up. Uh, he's now in jail, <laughs> just to give you a oh, sense. Wow. He was the guy, you probably heard about it. He bought this like drug and then jacked up the price. It was like a drug for like, you know, a pretty niche disease. And it was the only drug on the market for it. And then he like 40x the price. And so people were just like, this guy's an asshole. And so, and he used to do all kinds of trolley type of stuff. Uh, like he bought the Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang came out with their one last album or whatever. And he bought it for $2 million and then just like stashed it and like didn't let, you know, like he would just do things that would piss off different communities. And uh, so he was on our network and 4chan was like, uh, F this guy. They didn't like him or these different little hacking groups on the internet. And so they started attacking us because he was on our platform. And so we had to deal with all this crap because of of him essentially. And so, uh, you know, we eventually used Sif Science and it ended up helping us. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of those ones, but it's like, they're not, they're all kind of, they're giving you the tools, but there's not like... Like a shared database of like. Well, they're trying to keep the database for themselves, right? Everybody for wants all their, their customers, for and all their customers. Have, uh, they want us to give uh, them data. our data, and I'm right. like, but wait, we're going to be all of our users that we spent all right. this time acquiring, <laughs> and you're going to just tell us if they're bad or not. Right. I'm like, no, I want it to be part of that. Like, I want it to be like quid pro quo. Right. Like the people who own the data should be talking to each other, not all right. these brokers trying to sell. I mean, that's why the data. That's why this space is all effed up anyway, because we have tons of brokers in the middle selling people's data and everyone's pointing to them everyone's pointing to facebook and google right and it's really the the middle people that are kind of the real nefarious ones gotcha i think i mean so I, I like that that's actually a really good answer and opportunity at twitch we talk trust and safety is like one of the main focuses and it's just like we're trying to solve the problem from scratch and you're right it's uh there should be a little more collaboration so another question i ask is let's say you're 21 years old let's rewind you're 21 years old again um you can't do what you're currently doing so you can't go into this space again. What space would be interesting to you? Where would you go if you were going to start a new business, um, if, you know, from scratch? And you and you had you had the time, but you can't go into your existing space. Cannabis, a hundred percent. Okay, what would I you do? I actually looked into going into it at business school too, because uh, the laws were starting to change. It just right. I figured that software with like no regulations would be easier than a bunch of heavily regulated industries where it may or may not be legal. But right. I just think that there's a huge opportunity to really redefine the experience of like everything from what's happening with the kids aren't drinking anymore to the white claw m- right. movement to the fact that people are doing jewel pens to the fact that people have edibles now. I just think that we're sort of reinventing what socializing looks like, and right. we're at the we're at the point where you can kind of design it how you want it to be. The entrepreneurs get to design this. So next what would world. that look like for you? Well, obviously, <laughs> you can obviously nightclubs with drinking and smoking, right. and I'm surprised that hasn't really happened yet. Yeah, or as fast as it it would have in Denver or something like that. But right. I so I, I mean I'm thinking of it kind of from a. You know, of course, a date, an owner of a dating app thinking about the events you would have. But, right. you know, I think um, I just think that, A, from a socializing perspective, that's one sort of way to brand it. And then also there's, you know, is it really 
good for you. And maybe the microdosing industry and the microdosing movement is something that is sort of burgeoning too. So there's so many different like flavors of approaching right. what's happening with the fact that a huge regulation has just been changed. And right. you could have like a hundred different flavors of startups to, to serve each niche. Right. From your morning coffee, you know, the new next Starbucks brand of, of cannabis. Right. <laughs> with, and I think a lot of people are trying to do it. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of watching from afar, but I'm very much intrigued and I like I like building brands so I just think it'd be fun to build like a a very uh I don't know cool cool league like brand for for cannabis right. <laughs> look so, I mean the look on your face I it know. seems like you're gonna do this this is fantastic well it's like the gold <laughs> rush and it's like there's, there's not that many laws that have changed while I've been around right. and able to be like an entrepreneur to go after Take advantage, these yeah. advantages and that's what I remember when I worked in Sequoia that was like their number one rule was like when things change in the industry when you know consumer behavior shifts or like huge regulation shift or, or technology changes um turn a corner that's when that's when you all need to start running <laughs> Um, and that's, you know, that's why the gold rush is called the gold rush, but you know, I think, so I think that that's exciting. And that's like the only one I see, you know, self-driving cars is cool, but I just don't see the regulations able to support that anytime soon. So. Gotcha. That's cool. Um, and I'm so how, into like near term, near term things. Uh, and is there anything else you want to share, uh, for the people who are listening, you know, stuff that, that you're interested in or new stuff that's come, that you guys are doing, uh, this is your chance to sort of oh, shout cool. that out. Also, uh, where do people find you? How do they connect with you? Are you going to, you want Twitter followers? You can get Twitter famous off this. Uh, no, give, I like being a- sort of discreet on Twitter <laughs> a little bit, a wallflower. Right. Um, no, this is my part, this is the part where I get to do self-promotion. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm more of a, I guess I'm Twitter and Instagram. I don't yeah. know. I'm just Amanda Bradford, uh, boring. And then one of the models for this League Live, I know I've been talking about it a lot, but uh, the video chat, the chat roulette sort of feature that we have, I think there's a lot of really interesting applications because essentially we're, we're essentially setting up a, an appointment. Right. Uh, you're getting three appointments every day at 9 p.m. And right. so uh, obviously the use case we're solving first and foremost is let me help you find a, a person to date. And then great. And then but once you've solved that, there's a lot of other things you need to search for that you need to set appointments for. Like, for instance, let's say you wanted to find a realtor to buy a house. Let's say you wanted to interview a nanny to take care of your kid. Let's say you wanted to um, talk to a therapist and right. interview three. So um, I think, you know, and then Jeremy and I actually were going to a they recommend before you get married, you go to a couple, couple of premarital counseling sessions. So we've been doing that, which has been really interesting. And my wheels have been spinning, being like, well, we can so use what, this. So what do they do there? I didn't do this. Oh, you didn't do this? I didn't do this. No. What, well, what, first, what did I miss? First, you both talk about your ba- your past and your background and your okay. family and just kind of get to know each other's history. And, you know, you should have probably done that by now. But it's I was going to say, is that... It's nice to just sort of the way they, they'll lead the questions and you'll talk about the personalities of your family and in like a very just passionate way. So it's okay. just an interesting kind of experience to hear them, hear everybody be sort of described from, from their perspective. <laughs> um, so you do that and then, and then you go through kind of how, uh, you know, any, any conflicts that you've had, you sort of, you analyze them and you put them under a microscope and right. you talk about what, you know, why that made you mad and why you didn't expect that to make me mad, but it did. And why, Oh, that's because you really, value people showing up at the same time at the right time right and maybe i don't value being on time that much and so you start to get into like your value system so it's it's actually quite interesting and it so you'd recommend it i think it's i i think it's crazy to think that you might like create (laughs) a family with without start without kind of understanding where your differences are and and if they're you know and just sort of respecting each other's and it doesn't mean you have to change but just sort of knowing right i like knowing i guess before 
for that. So I kind of like to think of it as kind of like reading each other's, you know, little novel and, and yep. it's a, this kind of fun shared experience. So yeah, you go to a couple and they, they say it's supposed to be better. And then my parents and their last one, they wrote a letter to themselves to read it their 20th anniversary. Wow. So it's kind of cool. And would you continue? Uh, but I was saying that could be something when we were going, I was like, we should totally, this could be the next step on the league is once you've met each other <laughs> and you're dating, then you could go and meet, do, if you had to do couples counseling or talk right. to a therapist or find a, a minister <laughs> to marry you, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I sort of feel like. So that's what goes in line with the therapy movement right now. Yeah. I was going to say, the if, rage. Uh, somebody tweeted this out. They said, uh, it was kind of a stupid tweet, honestly, but it was like, you know, five years ago, the trend was X. I don't remember what they said. 2020, you know, 2020 was, you know, about meditation. What's 2025? And my answer was therapy. Yeah. Because, and I, I don't I even go to therapy. Right. I think I saw that. That was um, Brian Norgard, right? That's right. Brian, yeah. yeah, Brian said that out. Yeah, and, he's awesome. And so um, I think that's going to happen. And I think I, I think I, I retweeted that. Oh, there we go. <laughs> You're one of my retweets. Fantastic. <laughs> I believe it. And I think that I've noticed for, for all the Mental areas that too, matter right? in your life, fitness, um, your career, your relationship, it's only like five things that matter, right? Your parenting yeah. side, of, side of life. Um, there's a handful of things and having A, an outlet or B, a coach or a trainer of some kind or a counselor of some kind, um, I've never seen it hurt. And, right. but they're all, you know, they're sort of getting destigmatized. Each one's getting destigmatized where, you know, before if you were doing something, it's like, oh, it's not working. Is it not working? Yeah. Is it broken? It's sort of this admission of failure, which is kind of silly when it really right. should just be saying this matters to it's me like and I want to make it better. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't go to the gym because I'm injured. I go to the gym because I'm trying to make something more fit, more strong, right. whatever. Uh, and that's what it could be for relationships, what it could be for your it career. Be, it's like, shouldn't even be called therapy. It's like relationship coaching, which yes. implies that it's a, something you do just to keep it in good health. Thing, right. right fitness yeah i like that so i think that's going to continue to become less stigmatized my friends are the guys who started calm and i remember oh yeah early on it was just like crushing it yeah but but early it was not and it was just like yeah this thing i believe in this i've been doing this for a long time but it was fringe and when even when it started to take off change so i was asking him i was like look i remember when you guys were doing you know like a hundred thousand in revenue yeah annually and you you know you couldn't raise money and it was tough and like then all of a sudden it was like yeah we did six million last year 20 million this year 80 million and it went I know, like and we now like, they're yeah. in the hundred million plus a year revenue and I asked him what changed. What was the tipping point? And I thought it would be a product feature. I thought it'd be some tweak they made. And they're obviously they did improve it over time. But he's like, honestly, the the wind just started blowing behind our back, right? Like people started to care about this. Uh, people started to care about their mental health. People felt really anxious. They were looking for a solution. And all of a sudden, you know, Apple featured them as app of the year because it was one of the few apps that A, made money, which Apple likes, and B, uh, was not like social media where there was all this like sort of toxicity behind it. This yeah. was like pure good. good. Like, so yeah. Apple featured it as app of the year. That was big. They got That's on like huge, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Oz or something like that. Uh, but basically people started to care about meditation, just started to search for it. And they were already there. They had done four SEO. years of work yeah. to be like sitting there with a good product ready to go. Ready for when everyone, well, that's what we're saying for this League Live feature because not everyone's ready for video dating yet. We're like, right. we're just going to at least be there, be poised. I bought up all the speed dating domains. <laughs> right. So it's like when people are ready to to really do video dating, we're, we're there because I, I just think we're early. Right. Yeah, that's And cool. it's hard to, when you don't have the wind, right? <laughs> Well, good luck. Good luck to you. Good luck to the league. Uh, I'm a fan of the concept. I had uh, I had known about it, but I didn't know the story until you came in yeah. today. So I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, yeah, uh, everybody should follow you and reach out to you. But thank you so much for coming. Cool. Thanks for inviting me. I need a dollar.